Hi, I'm Keith R.A. DeCandido, author of various Star Trek, Buffy, Supernatural, Farscape, and other novels, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Sisters Podcast. Everybody, welcome to the Sci-Fi Sisters podcast, where we give you our point of view. I'm Tamia Harper, and today I'm joined by my sisters, Sabrina Wood, whoop, whoop. and Yvette Blackman Tom. Hello. Hello. And we have a super duper guest with us today. We're really excited. Uh, this has been a while since we've had him on. Um, if you've read a Star Trek book lately, chances are you've read his work if you've read <laughs> uh if you read uh a buffy the vampire slayer tie-in or doctor who or supernatural or andromeda or farscape jesus man the list goes on and leverage <laughs> and spider-man i mean can, can you get it this man is of the body as they say <laughs> he is one of us we are talking about none other than writer extraordinaire keith r.a d candido welcome to the show Woo! thank you thank you by the way it's pronounced de candido to Candido. Yes. Okay, everybody gets it wrong. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Because right. like, I've been saying I've it wrong only, forever. Right? <laughs> like, how many years have I been following you? And that's, that's how it was it's, in my head. That's fine. I, I I spent my entire life correcting the mispronunciation. I will spend the rest of my life correcting the mispronunciation. Okay, you know what we I mean? have resigned like, myself to this fact. This. <laughs> Every time your name is written, you need to say, have a little thing that says pronounced. <laughs> De Candido. De Candido. well that makes so much more sense yes okay well welcome thank you <laughs> we're really ex- huh it is good to be here yeah thank you um we're really excited to have you here we're going to talk uh folks today about all things discovery because okay. if you didn't know keith is an expert extraordinaire uh yeah come on you know it you know, you know it. it all he does these amazing um uh, uh episode uh reviews on tour.com and um if you haven't read them please go to tour.com and and read some of them because they're really engaging and they're a lot of fun and uh you really pick out a lot of great stuff but you know it's and it's disco's uh anniversary this month you know, and, you know, so we wanted to talk a little bit about Disco, and then you have a short story tie-in, correct? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so, uh, Star Trek Explorer, the the magazine the that is now being published quarterly by Titan, mm-hmm. uh, to, that ties into Star Trek, uh, one of the things, the, the main difference between this and the previous iterations of various Star Trek magazines that there have been over the years, uh, like Star Trek. There was Star Trek Communicator. There was uh, the just Star Trek, the official magazine, and a number of others. This current version of it has original fiction in it. Ooh. Each issue has uh, two stories, and then there's also a digital supplement that only goes to subscribers that has two more stories in each issue. So, so 
you get four stories uh, every three months. And um, I've already written two uh, stories that have already come out, uh, one for the digital supplement of issue seven, which was a Deep Space Nine story, uh, and then a Voyager story that was in uh, issue eight, which just came out as we record this. Um, and uh, the next issue, issue nine, which will be out uh, toward the end of, the, of 2023, is going to be the first time they will have a Discovery story uh, yeah. in the magazine. Up till now, all the stories have been um, uh, featuring the, the older shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the first time one of the one of the Paramount Plus shows is going to be represented. And what it's going to be is uh, basically the backstory for President Rillick. Um, so as 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 some of you may know, um, uh, in 2005, I wrote a Star Trek novel called Articles of the Federation. Yes, which, you did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, was a year in the life of the Federation president, specifically the year following Star Trek Nemesis. Uh where, among other things, President Nanbako had to deal with the fallout of the Romulan Senate being turned to pixie dust and the guy who turned them to pixie dust being blown up. So, um, and and all sorts of other stuff. Basically, it was it was an, uh, an inside look at the Federation government, which we've never really seen on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've seen the inner workings of the Klingon government, of the Romulan government, of the Bajoran government, of the Cardassian government, but never the Federation's, just mentions of, you know, occasional appearances of a president references to a federation council and so on Mm. um so i did a very deep dive on that so when they made the federation president a recurring character on discovery (laughs) i was jumping up and down and dancing (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i really wanted a chance to write this character um and the explorer proved to be the perfect place for it i did a, a story called work worth doing uh which is uh which comes from a theodore roosevelt quote um about uh uh, the, talking about how the you know, the best the, the best thing you can do in life is to do work worth doing, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it it gives a little bit of her backstory and and how she wound up running for president and becoming president and so on. Oh, that's so, gonna be cool. That was yeah. I I I really enjoyed the hell out of that, and uh, and was honored that I get to be the first discovery story uh, in the magazine. I've got another story coming out that is nominally a discovery story. Um, hmm. But it also is going to tie. It's going to tie into Enterprise, Strange New Worlds, the original series, Next Gen, Voyager, Picard. I think that's it. Yeah. Oh my god! Uh, wow. and Enterprise. And Enterprise. If anybody could do that, it'll be you. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's. I mean, like I said, it's primarily a Discovery story, but there's bits of those other uh-huh. uh, parts of uh, other shows in there as well. So when does that come out? Uh, sometime next year. Okay. I, don't, I don't remember. I, I've got that, and I did uh, another one, which is in there was a Voyager episode where there was a throwaway reference to a couple of Ferengi that tried to break into Fort Knox. Yes, yes. I would love to see. Yeah, I want to see that. Oh my god, no, I want to read that. Yes, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Both of those are going to be out sometime next year. I don't remember. Yeah. Well, Not only do I want to read it, huh? They'll be out in Explore. Yeah, it'll be in the ma- they'll be in the magazine. They'll and be then, in the magazine. Okay. Titan has been doing. I don't know if they're going to continue doing them. I know they have been putting out collections of the stories that have been in the magazine in in you know anthologies. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I know they put out at least two, so I assume they're going to continue doing that. I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I hope so. I do too. I'm gonna have yeah. to check this out. Yeah, I missed the novel. That was, that was yeah. fun. Like I said, right? I mean, uh, President Relic is one of my favorite characters on Discovery. Um, yeah, she was. I don't know. She she first came in there. I wasn't really feeling her, but okay. <laughs> I, like, I like the way 
<laughs> there was a great line actually that that um, uh, Admiral Vance had, Odin, Odin Fair's character, about how she's the conductor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that you know, We're Vance, just... you know, Vance is the percussion and. Uh, uh, Burnham is like the French horn or something, um, and we don't. They only have to pay attention to their parts, but she has to see the big picture, which I loved. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's yeah. true. There's, it's there's true. And, yeah. and I like the fact that she's not just being portrayed as an annoying hidebound politician. Mm-hmm. That right. was definitely um, one of my favorite things about yeah. that. Um, and and just in general, I mean, the, the, they've been very good about making not falling into the rather tired Trek cliche of the corrupt authority figure. Right. Um, right. 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 You know, Van, I mean, I was worried about that. Like when Vance first showed up. We all did. Right. I think. Yes. Yeah. And, We're yeah. all waiting for the bad rule to show up. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they didn't. haven't. I mean, yeah. and, and they didn't do that. I mean, um, uh, Admiral ah, Jane Brooks character from the yeah. first. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, who's, I'm blanking on the, the character's name, Hornwell. but that she was also. Hornwell. Hornwell. Yeah. Hornwell thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also, you know, a good, a good, strong authority that was my girl. That was yeah, my girl, we loved man. her to death. Oh. <laughs> She's and, and um, but you know, but Vance and 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 Rillick and mm-hmm. Tarina, for that matter, um, mm-hmm. are all really good, strong authority figures. Um, yeah. who, who, you know, they have yes, sometimes they have their own agendas, and it's different from, you know, that of of our main characters, but. But the, I like the way the relationship between Rillick and Burnham developed over the course of the season in particular. Yeah. It, um, it to the did. point where they were working yes. really well together during the contact with, with Species. Yeah. But that was really well done. I love that those, you're right, those um, political portrayals that they have are really realistic. And it's like like more a little bit more West Wing, you know? <laughs> you know? It's like bit. West Wing in space a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know but I mean, they're just more... Um, three-dimensional human beings as opposed to pastiche like i'm a politician characters you know yeah or or just you know someone who's ineffectual until our hero steps in to save the day the right. way yeah. 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 was on, on deep space nine and like the like deep space nine yes right exactly <laughs> oh, no, original I trek had the worst the worst people every time you know somebody showed up from the federation in original trek they were just totally useless Oh. It's always like young adult fantasy, right? You know, I mean, it's you know, like because there's always like it's like the authority, like the the subordinate or younger person it ends up being smarter than all uh-huh. the adults around them. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although it's funny, there's one character uh, in the original series, uh, Commissioner Ferris in in um, Galileo Seven. I, I was, oh. was rewatching that because, in addition to the reviews of the new shows that I've been doing for Tor.com, I've also for the last twelve years right? been doing uh, rewatches of the of the older shows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Next Generation, then I did DS9, then I did the original series uh, a couple years ago. I did Voyager, and I'm in the middle of Enter- uh, well, actually almost toward the end of Enterprise right now. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching the Galileo Seven again, I'm watching this and I'm like, no, I'm on Ferris's side here. They're they're supposed to be taking medicine. They had to go. They had to go. And 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 Kirk pauses to basically stare at a quasar for for a few hours, and I'm like, what right. the hell? Right. Uh, you know, I, 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 the script is written in such a way that Ferris is this obdurate bureaucrat, but he's trying to get medicine to sick people. Right. Right. What right. you're all supposed to be doing. Right. What the, yeah. But and then there's okay. then there's Ambassador Robert Fox, who was a complete tool. So you know. <laughs> That guy. Oh my God. He even looked like he even looked like he was a tool the minute he walked on. Oh, like, yeah. oh he's gonna be a problem. <laughs> he walked on. Ay, ay, ay. So you did you did um 
did you finish all well up to up to where we are now your uh recaps i mean your reviews of disco each season of disco are you there yeah, I, the reviews the reviews all come out when the mm-hmm. they all go live when yeah. the episode goes live mm-hmm. in fact i'm i'm so yeah the yeah right i mean i'm doing i i I just did a review of the new Lower Decks episode. We're recording this on a Thursday, and and mm-hmm. uh, the the new Lower Decks episode that debuted today. My review also went up today. So okay, that's sweet. Time. I've been I've been I've been those have all been very timely, and that that's deliberate. You know, try, the the whole point of having the reviews is to, is to have them up when the show goes up as well. Um, so yeah, I've 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 written about every episode of Disco that's been out so far. So well, let's let's just start with the real general. Like okay, like let's just start. Let's start out here. We can bring it in. Um, Disco's cancellation. You know what? Your thoughts, your feelings um, around it. I'm glad they got five years out of it, at least. But um, uh, and 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 from what I was told, um, I, I I got to meet um, uh, a couple of the cast members uh, at Trek Long Island last year. You guys were there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and Doug Jones mentioned that that they were they they got enough warning that they were able to do a proper ending in the final yeah. episode. So yeah. 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 Which is nice. Um, I, I mean, I, I would, I would rather it went on longer, um, but it had a good run. Um, and you know, the, the economics of streaming services are so completely screwy, <laughs> you know, and so I mean, they say. Just had two so they we've, say we've, we've, had, we're, 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 we've had two strikes over the screwiness of it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm obviously disappointed because it's a show I like and and I would like to see it go on. Um. But the, it's also, um, I think this is a good run for it, and I, and and assuming the fifth season, uh, lives up to especially the the second, third, and fourth seasons, um, then it'll it'll, you know it'll be a good run. I mean, I, I honestly looking at the final seasons of next gen and Voyager and deep space nine, where, where it was obvious that they were running out of gas, um, mm-hmm. less so on DS nine, but, but uh, although even then, um, I, there's, there's a certain amount of fatigue that sets in when you're, when you're working on a show for so long. And I think quitting while you're ahead is, is sometimes a better way to go. Hmm, um, that's the point. Having said that, I'm hoping that I mean I'm assuming they haven't actually formally said this, but I'm assuming the Starfleet Academy show they're developing is also going to be mm-hmm. in the 32nd century. Yeah. And hopefully, right. hopefully, that's what we're hoping. On, yeah, star Mary Weissman and focus on Tilly. In which case, you know, the the we'll hopefully see more of those characters, at least some of those characters. Yeah, I said that um, before. I, I'm so glad they did that. We will be getting because we need to keep. I was scared that they were going to get rid of Discovery and then we wouldn't have that uh, that century. We wouldn't have anybody in that century anymore. But if they're going to have uh, Starfleet Academy, at least, you know, those some of those people can be on that show. Right. Some of those characters exactly. could be on that yeah. show or we could go back and see Burnham every once in a while, no matter, you know, what she's doing or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to lose those, those characters. And of all the errors to do an Academy show in the post burn federation i think is the most interesting mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. i totally yeah. agree yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm i really want to see that show definitely i mean that's you know that's <clears throat> the that's the meat of it you know <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and and you know there's so much there's so much more to explore of, of what's you know what's happening in the 32nd century i yeah. love one of my absolute favorite things they did was establish navarre and that spock actually you know succeeded yeah uh, right right it was centuries after he died yeah um 
which which I, I adore that and and yeah. and I love all the story possibilities that opens um yeah. and and uh you know it's you know it's funny I I didn't realize this until I was I I forget I think it was when I was writing the the, the overview uh of of the third season that of the five founding worlds of the Federation the only one that was still in the Federation when Discovery showed up in the 32nd century mm-hmm. was was Telar. Telar, yeah. Yeah, Earth was, oh, Earth was out, yep. Navarre was out, Andor was out. Yep. <laughs> Telar was the only one. Yep. And they were the most cantankerous ones. There. Yeah. 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 They stuck with it, From the beginning, they were cantankerous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always them, right? It's always the troubled yeah. child that'll stay, I, stay and with I actually, you. <laughs> as, a, as a tribute to that, glad I everybody had... was gone. Yeah. That's what it was. In, in my short story, in my Relic short story, I had the previous president that, that she... Um, mm-hmm. replaces in essence mm-hmm. uh, be a Tellerite uh, oh that's right he was a Tellerite men was that well no I, they didn't they didn't establish one or oh, the other oh he didn't establish yeah. okay, okay. Um, so so I, I I had actually been a, a very old Tellerite woman who'd served like five terms um, and and her and she did, didn't run for re-election because it's like <laughs> the burn solved this is going to be a hell of a lot of work I'm old I'm tired oh, I'm okay. out, I'm, we need someone else okay um, so okay that's pretty oh good. She, and she's the one who convinces really. Right. So. Oh, okay. I can't wait to read the story. Yeah. I can't Anything. wait for everybody to read it. I'm dying for it. <laughs> I know. <right? laughs> I love tie-ins. So you did a you okay, so you've done a review for each season of Discovery. Like what in your mind, what were the which ones were the standout seasons for you? Honestly, I mean, thus far, obviously. Um, the four, I, I, the only one I'm, I'm completely, the only one I've, um, I, I wouldn't rate high would be the first season, and that was at least mm-hmm. partly due to the behind-the-scenes turmoil because they're, you know, they went through, as did the second season, they wow. kept, they kept going through showrunners the, the, the way most people go through underwear, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> the. Uh, it it I, I think I would have to choose season four only because it is in so many ways the most purely Star Trek season mm. of any of the shows. I mean, this is this is what I point to whenever whenever I hear some idiot online saying, Oh, the people running Star Trek, they don't understand Star Trek. Mm. They absolutely understand Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> season was about seeking out new life and new civilization and boldly going where no one has gone before and all that crap. Mm. And, uh and and it was, you know, the thing that makes Star Trek unique and and special, and why why I think it's endured for almost sixty years now, and why I love it so much, is that it's always been about the compassionate solution rather than the violent one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, and you know, starting with you know, like the Corbomite maneuver when when yep. yeah, Enterprise still takes pity on the ship that tri- that nearly killed them, killed them, yeah. still rescues the guy. Yeah. Um, you know, the the Dominion War ended because Odo return to the great lake not yeah. because of any military superiority or any big battle that was won but because odo did a nice thing yeah. you know mm-hmm. uh the burn was reversed because they rescued a 100 year old kid kid yeah um, <laughs> the, the, and and season four of discovery embodied that beautifully that it was it was talking figuring out a way to talk to an alien a very alien species mm-hmm. uh and 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 finding a way to work together you know, through talking, through understanding, through compassion, rather than through violence, um, and and all of it, 
you know, that whole season was just just the perfect embodiment of of what Star Trek is about. Yeah, I, I love that scene where they had to vote. I mean, that was just one of the best yes. scenes ever when they had to decide what we are going to do as the Federation and everybody had a say. And that was, uh, you know, they made it dramatic. Like, you mm-hmm. know, oh my God, we're seeing the tally coming up and this back fighting and all kinds of deal makings on the side. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, that was wonderful. I loved seeing that. Yeah. I just, I, that was actually, I just got a little, goose pump goose pimples you know because i remember <laughs> watching that for the first time and just like being like oh man this is the stuff right <laughs> having having said that i also loved seasons two and three for their own reasons i loved season three just because it moved things forward yeah, yeah. um it, it's star trek has been at its best when it moves forward and one of the things that i was very grateful for in 2020 was that we finally got that at the the but since Voyager went off the air. The, the franchise had been constantly looking backward with oh, yeah. yeah. then with the bad robot movies, then with the discovery in the 23rd century. Uh, and I was so relieved that between Picard and season three of discovery and lower decks and then prodigy, they were finally pushing Moving forward. forward. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is what they should have been doing all along. I, yeah. I, I, I agree. Um, yeah. I, I, having said that um, season two managed the amazing accomplishment if you had told me in any time prior to 2019 that they were going to do a Captain Pike series, uh, I would have said, why? Wow. Right. <laughs> we already, in essence, had it. They just renamed him Kirk. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the original series is more or less what, what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. They just recast most of the characters. But And then the second season of Discovery aired, and my entire world was about there being a Captain Pike series. Yes. Yep. Same, yep. same thing. <laughs> yeah. That is um, my favorite season. That yeah, is that one. season. That is my season. And, I watch and, it over and over again. And this is why <laughs> there are this is why I always argue that there are no bad ideas. There's only bad execution. <laughs> right. Because the idea of a Captain Pike series is ridiculous because we've already done that. <laughs> right. Um but the execution is phenomenal. Um, you know, Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, and Rebecca Romine were stunning in season two of Discovery, and they've continued mm-hmm. that in Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Um it's a great cast, it's wonderfully written, it's it's um, you know, they've just done a wonderful job with it. Um, and th- that's one case where I'm okay with them looking backwards simply because it's well executed, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I like the fact that that the approach they're taking is so broad at at in general with what oh, you mean, strange new worlds. Um, well, with all of with, with oh, all the shows that that they've yeah, yeah. got the option of doing so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got the early 25th century, you know, the, the Picard season three left it open for, for doing more stuff yep. uh, on, on <laughs> the latest enterprise. <laughs> and, uh, what was that? And, P? you know, uh, lower, lower <laughs> Decks, you know, lower decks and, and if they ever bring prodigy back, which I hope they do, uh, yeah. you know, I was exploring other, other things. And then, you know, you've got stranger worlds doing, some interesting recontextualizing of the 23rd century. And then you've got discovery in the far future and, and hopefully the Academy series. There's just, there's so many different storytelling possibilities, which, and it used to be that the tie-in fiction was the only ones doing that. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. Um, and I like the fact, and, and you're seeing this in the star Wars franchise too, where, where mm-hmm. they're, they're using, uh, they're exploring so many different time periods and re, and, and areas of, of, of um, the fictional history. It's funny you said that. I, that's actually what I'm doing now is uh, rewatching or watching and rewatching the Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, just timeline. 
I'm like just mm-hmm. going through the whole thing because you know I've watched the 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 three movies that really count. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, right. they're the only ones that really count, know. you know. But I'm now because I, I want to watch um, Osaka, so I I just feel like if I don't watch the other stuff, I'm just I'm missing out on stuff. So I just Clone Wars is absolutely. Clone, I, was I just finished. I just, just finished so it. Brilliant. Do yeah. you know I was sitting over here going. Yeah, <laughs> over a cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> so good. The, the, it was so. Good. I just finished. Well, Clone Wars now is watching... more or less what, what the prequel trilogy should have been. Yeah, it should have been. It should. They right. should have just. They should have just put that out because yeah. you really didn't need that other stuff. But it was. It was fantastic. Yeah. So Bad Batch. I'm trying to get through Bad Batch right now. Well, I mean, I yeah, think... I'm, I'm. I'm behind. I have to. Yeah. Bad Batch. I love Bad Batch. It's. It, our first season's done. Um. It was a lot. It was a bit much because I. <laughs> I think I was still trying to recover from that last season of um, Clone Wars. Cause yeah, well, so I, mean, good. Yeah, I feel like some, <laughs> a break would have been yeah would have been necessary. But they do they they their um, animated world is yeah. just so on point. Yeah. yeah, I mean the storytelling is fantastic. I mean yeah. there are things they did where I I didn't expect that from a cartoon. You know, I mean the storyline was intriguing. <laughs> And they oh, yeah. they said they did things that you know most, not even cartoons, but uh, live action just won't do. You know, mm-hmm. so I was like, ah, this is good storytelling here. I like mm-hmm. it. I like it a lot. But I digress. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to brought up Star Wars. Back to Star Trek. <laughs> Don't have to. One of my one of my questions for you, Keith, was. Yes. You know, just looking at all of this that you've written and mm-hmm. the fact that you even created your own universe, mm-hmm. how do you keep all these universes straight? Yeah. Like when I, you're I mean, writing for them. An infinite capacity for useless trivia, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, it's, it's all stuff I enjoy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I mean, I still, there's a certain amount of, of immersing yourself in it, in it that you have to do uh when you start like when i for example when i'm writing uh, uh i have an original series uh, my precinct series which is a, a right. series of a mix of epic fantasy and police procedural yeah and every time i write a new book or a new short story in that world i sit down and i reread the whole freaking thing that i've done ah, <laughs> just to get okay. get the character voices into my head to remind myself of what happened because i'm not necessarily going to remember um you know and even when i'm doing when, you know, when i'm doing a tie-in work um i'm gonna rewatch episodes that at least if not necessarily all of them like like with star trek i can't do that but mm-hmm. um but i will rewatch episodes and movies that are relevant to what i'm doing okay yeah. um you know like like for example when i wrote the relic story i sat down and i rewatched seasons three and four of discovery mm-hmm. um just to make sure i didn't forget anything um and and especially season three because i needed to get a feel for um what the federation was like right after they fix the burn and mm, yeah. for that, you know, um, and, and what kinds of things uh, they'd be dealing with. And also the time during the burn, because I was doing flashbacks to when Relic was younger. Okay. Um, uh, her, her as, as a teenager working for her father's uh, uh, cargo. Mm-hmm. Uh, cargo ship. ships. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then later when she was uh, working as a, as, as a diplomat. Um, so that was, so I had to I had to sit down and rewatch that, and and I always do that whenever I'm I'm starting up a project, is is immerse myself in in what it was, in in what material I've got, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, Tommy mentioned uh, I did I did leverage, um, 
and Andromeda. And in both cases, you know, when I sat down, even though I had, even if even if it's something I've already seen, Supernatural too, I, I sat down and I watched everything that was available at the time that I wrote them just to get the character voices into my head and and, and get the universe settled uh-huh. in there, you know. Yeah. And it's the same thing with my own universes because I've got several. I've got, I've got, the precinct is, is the biggest, but I've also got a couple of urban fantasy series uh, going, one set in Key West, one set in New York. Um, I'm about I'm about to start writing another urban fantasy, which I hope to be able to formally announce soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be a uh, uh, it's called Supernatural Crimes Unit. It's going to be a, uh, a a division of the NYPD that deals with crimes involving magic and monsters. So what? It takes place, oh, yeah. okay. what? Okay. So it takes place in contemporary New York. <laughs> oh, that's uh, for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, okay. No, Especially Kizino's. I, that will be because I, I hate when people some... not from New York write about New York because you always oh, God, New York God. is always like no, that's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always little stuff, but yeah, yeah, I can't wait. That'll be good. Um, yeah, I, 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 you can always tell when somebody does what I refer to as the Google Maps version of the city. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. I'm like that is not the way to get there. <laughs> 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 or they get the details right, but not the feel, you know? Yeah, or, right, yeah. Right. Especially when they're trying to, to say we're right. traveling to get it. Oh. I'm like, no, no New Yorker would do that. Mm-hmm. That came from Google Maps. There's oh, no yeah. way <laughs> you would get on that road to go there. <laughs> I, I, I still, I, I love it whenever somebody refers, somebody who's supposed to be local refers to Avenue of the Americas. It's like, no, that's 6th Avenue. <laughs> oh, my God. You are not a tourist. Oh. I know that. <laughs> I had to think twice, like, what the hell is that? Avenue of the Americas. Oh, yeah, right, right. That's what it's called. Forgot. Oh, it's funny. I, I was doing a, when I was doing a Supernatural book that took place in the Bronx, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because I try to write the outer boroughs wherever possible because yes, I, thank you. I, I appreciate understand you. that there is more to New York than Manhattan south of 125th Street. Thank you. Or and, Brooklyn. <laughs> and Brooklyn, yeah. Right. If they want to get really edgy, they'll do Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my my I my I my uh one of my urban fantasy series takes place specifically in the Bronx. Uh-huh. Um, and uh but I also uh, my first supernatural book had the boys coming to the Bronx dealing with um some Edgar Allan Poe themed killings that were happening, and and I involved the Poe Cottage. That, oh that wow! Oh, run Grand Concourse and yeah, uh, that's cool. And um, <laughs> and one of the things I wanted, to, I was gonna, I realized I can't have there the, the 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 when I'm in the point of view of Sam and Dean, they're not from New York, so they are going to call the streets what they're called on the map. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I had to actually call University Avenue, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard because that's what somebody. <laughs> Like even though I don't know anybody who calls it that, who no. is like it's still University Avenue. Most Always, because you know? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like, is that true? <laughs> yeah. But but somebody for coming in from out of town yeah. is depending on a map. Yes, they're yes. gonna they're gonna call yeah. it whatever it says on the map. <laughs> Well, it's always, like you said, it's always nice to have people Mm -hmm. who are from your location actually right in your location. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live in D.C. Yeah, I can imagine. Constantly misrepresented. I mean, and part of that (laughs) is because we're supposed to be like, you know, like if you watch shows like NCIS or something, you know, which is hilarious to watch this show and live here in this city. And they'll call like they'll show shots of like Georgetown or something, which is you know, all like 
these old colonial looking houses and, you know, brick down by the waterfront and stuff, but they're going to call it Adams Morgan, which is a completely different neighborhood (laughs) all the way across town, you know, and like they do that, like Mm -hmm. they do that type of stuff purposely, like misinformation campaigns you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like well, also you know, it depends on it, what locations i mean they film in los angeles for one thing so right you know. exactly like toronto even the shows that film in new york sometimes like they'll say that like this is a bar on a street in brooklyn it's like no that's in no. riverdale bronx i know that's that. where, exactly. it's always riverdale they, it's yeah. always you know riverdale but that's you also what i and, love and, and i don't mind that because at least there, I mean, it, it looks like it could be a street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and, yeah. and you know, it's wherever they could get the location. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. oh, you yeah. guys ever, like, catch yourself watching um, a show that's supposed to be in your city and you look at, and they'll show, like, the public transportation or something, and you look at, oh, like, yeah. that's not our bus. All the time. Or, you know what, but what they always, always, they never get the, or they never or the get the, uh, the license plate right. Because oh, yeah. I always look for the license plate. And I'm like, <laughs> no, nope, that was not here. Uh, <laughs> or they always get the metro stations wrong plate, and the, the DC ones. My, right, my, right. Favorite, my favorite was one time on, on Castle, which of course filmed in LA. Yeah. Um, they, they had somebody who was uh, on trial and they freed him from the courthouse by landing a helicopter next to the courthouse and and freeing him that way and my first thought was one there's nowhere to put a helicopter near the courthouse in right. no. I won't, we'll let that one go however since 2001 if you fly a helicopter anywhere near the courthouse which is remarkably close to where the world trade center used right. to be you're gonna have a couple f-14s up your ass yeah right. exactly. well first of all you ain't landed yeah, yeah. you ain't landed Not there one piece. yeah Not one, exactly yeah. You won't even make it across. No, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's my God. And, and the tri- I think the one, I think the thing that trauma, they don't. I think people when they make movies, they don't realize how they are traumatizing New Yorkers by always <laughs> destroying the city. Yeah. There's monsters. There's. I'm like, why? Why do you keep destroying our city? Didn't we do you got enough? Gorillas on during top of everything. Shit. You got, Just you got please stop. Coming. And right? then, you know, we all oh, survived no, 9-11. Please stop. It started yeah. with King Kong and Godzilla yeah. and kept oh, going. It just <laughs> kept going. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> Talk okay. about a digression. I love it. Yes, I love it. Yes, very much. But yes, I try to I try to write the New York that I actually live in. Um, one one of my favorite books that I've written. You you mentioned I did uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer books. My favorite of the the, the three Buffy books that I did was called Blackout. Um, and it focused on um, Nikki Wood, who was the slayer that Spike killed on the subway in 1977. Ooh. Um, who was basically what I wrote was if Buffy the Vampire Slayer had been created in the 70s by Gordon Parks instead of Joss Whedon in the 90s, this is what it would have been. <laughs> Ooh, um, nice. It was because the character was created, was deliberately created as a, as a tribute to, you know, Foxy Brown and Cleopatra Jones yeah, and right. all those characters. Um, and uh, I had so much fun writing her. It was, I was writing my childhood. I was, I was, it, you know, I was eight years old in, in 77. Yeah. Uh, and I lived, you know, I, I lived through the, the, the blackout. And the, yeah, the blackout was that the, year, the, right? Yeah, that was, Ooh. and I made that part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in Pennsylvania. You were on the East Coast. It was like the blackout. <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was a fascinating night. I was actually in Central Park when it happened, seeing a play. We were, oh. we were in the like, theater and the lights went out. In the middle of a song, mm. 
And of course, the show must go on. So the woman who was singing finished the song um, without a microphone anymore. But she finished the song and then they told us all to leave. (laughs) Go home. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because because the you know the lights the whole city was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we narrowly missed a large brick being dropped on our car as we drove home. Wow! And, oh my god! Um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> but uh, well, I really want to read that I love, story. I, love I have to look up that story. Which what's, yeah. what's the name of that story? It was called Blackout. It was Blackout. A, okay, a Buffy novel. It's got it, it had uh spike on the cover uh-huh. you know spike coming to new york to to hunt a slayer i have him going to cbgb's to try to catch the ramones nice <laughs> CBGB. And, uh, <laughs> and and i gave nikki's full origin story um and uh you know fighting 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 vampires and monsters and stuff and there's a uh uh there's a gangster vampire who works out of harlem named reet weldon uh who's <laughs> of course pretty pretty much uh uh a vampire version of uh bumpy johnson and oh, uh, oh my god more mm. or less and, uh, <laughs> uh, that's funny so that, yeah that was fun and um <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of fun with that and, Re- and ready drusilla was also fun too because she's completely batshit but um <laughs> um but that was you know it was, it was like i said it was like writing my childhood uh-huh. Um, yeah. And and I love doing that. And I, I I love I love writing stuff that takes place in New York generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've come back to it quite a bit. I've actually, um, I'm I'm talking with with uh, Eastbeck Books, who publishes my precinct books and and some other stuff I've done, uh, about doing a short story collection specifically of my New York themed short stories. Oh, that'd be great. That'd, that'd be much. real nice. Yeah. yeah. I would love to read that. I like that. Now, let me ask you a question about um, the. You said you had a precinct story. Can you tell us um, the about precinct? That one? It's a series of uh, novels uh, and some short stories. Also, uh, the first book is called Dragon Precinct, okay. um, and uh, it's it takes place in a medieval fantasy setting, your classic D anD D Tolkien style uh, sword yeah. and sorcery setting with humans and elves and dwarves and wizards and magic and stuff. But the main characters are detectives who solve crimes. The members of the Cliffsend Castle Guard who are tasked with maintaining law and order in the city state. Um, so the stories are police stories, you know, with uh-huh. murder, murder, murder mystery type stuff. Um, but the setting is, um, you know, right out of an, your average D and D game. Oh, so, so there's the uh, of Keith. six novels. I, so I know, I can't, like um, medieval forensics. I can't wait. Yeah, right. <laughs> forensics is basically handled by a wizard, but of course, uh, yeah. as it should um, be. But there's Dragon Precinct, Unicorn Precinct, Goblin Precinct, Griffin Precinct, Mermaid Precinct, and Phoenix Precinct. Uh, Manticore Precinct still to come. Um, And also a short story collection called Tales from Dragon Precinct. There will be another short story collection, which I have imaginatively titled More Tales from Dragon Precinct. (laughs) Uh, And that'll be out uh, in a year or two. Okay. You can't waste time with titles with the way you're writing. I mean, yeah, more <laughs> right, right. I'm like, this man is a writing fool, man. I'm just trying to get my head around this. I have to. If I stop totally writing, they stop right. paying me, and then I have to get a real job, <laughs> right? <laughs> and no one wants that. <laughs> well, awesome. I, I have, I have a question because I, I read a little bit about you, and I realized here that you you were brought up by two librarians. Your family, you come from a family of librarians. Yes, yes. I find that really like just classic. I mean, so tell me a little bit about how you became a writer, how this all started. What was your home life like that you came out to be this incredible 
you know, machine. I, um, I mean, uh, books were a part of my life from jump. I, my parents read to me constantly when I was a kid. And then we would read stuff together when I could read things on my own. And they gave me stuff to read. Um, a lot of what they gave me to read when I was too young to know better was um, uh, The Hobbit and uh, Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea Trilogy. Oh, you know. Robert Heinlein's YA books and also mm. P.G. Woodhouse's Jeeves and Worcester stories. Nice. Um, really? Wow. It not playing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also got into reading uh, superhero comics at a young age as well. And that that was a big part of, of what formed my my writing career in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, you know, uh, I, the first thing I wrote was when I was six. Uh, it was a little book, about an eight page long book called Reflections in My Mirror. Um, I did it on construction paper in summer camp. It's terrible. I was six, <laughs> but um, but I still have it. I, I, I was going to say still have it. <laughs> um, I, I, I I keep it around to keep me humble. <laughs> and, um, how it all started yes yes um Bucky but I've always, I've always wanted to make stories like people ask me when did you want to become a writer it's like i don't know it was always there um yeah. the yeah. desire to create stories has always been there mm-hmm. um i i wrote a really 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 bad star trek novel in high school um which might be on a five and a quarter inch floppy disk somewhere i um i <laughs> I may have finally thrown it out at some point when I moved. I don't know. It, it could be buried in a box somewhere in the <laughs> house. Um, but uh, it was it was awful. Um, and I started another science fiction novel in, in high school that was even worse, and I never finished it. Um, but I also wrote uh, for the high school paper and for the mm-hmm. high school literary magazine and, and, and then uh, worked you for that kid. paper at Fordham. It was just called <laughs> The Paper. Um, the Paper. The Paper. Yes. All over Fordham. Paper. At, at Fordham University, yeah. It's um, so original. Yes, class of 1990. Go Rams. Uh-oh. 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 Sorry. I, I, Sabrina. I wasn't going to start it. I wasn't going to start it. <laughs> Sabrina. Go Satyrs. Go Satyrs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ooh, you Ooh, all. I don't care about the sports teams that much anymore. Uh, yeah, you, you guys uh, almost took us out. Fordham and Holy Cross. That was the game last year. Okay, our game is coming up in a, a couple of weeks. Okay. Okay. He's <laughs> like, I have no idea. I, 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 I worked for the paper. That was the extent, you know. And so you just got the scores and put them in there. You didn't care. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, that was, that, that was actually my first experience with editing. And that, that was what I, when I first graduated college, that was what I did for a living until the writing career took off. Okay. Um, for the first eight years or so, um, I worked actually, ironically, at Library Journal Magazine, uh, keeping it in the family, as it were. And, um, <laughs> And then I worked for uh, Byron Price, uh, who was a book packager. Um, and I worked for him for five years. And then uh, I went freelance, still, still did some freelance work for Byron for about a year or so, and then, uh, and then struck out on my own. Um, I still do some editing. Um, I, I edit anthologies, and I do some um, freelance editing here and there, both uh, in the genre and also, I also do some editing, actually, for the Society of American Baseball Research. Uh, yes, my favorite thing you edited. I am so proud of that. I but, but, okay. That, so for people oh, who sorry. are actually listening to us and not, <laughs> I always do that. Yvette is holding up a copy of Star Trek: Tales of the Dominion War. Yes, that was a short story anthology I edited that came out in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. It is still in print. We still get royalty checks every six months. They're not very large because we have to split them among twelve authors. But still, yeah. um, <laughs> it's uh, and and. 
I, I really I hit some kind of zeitgeist with that anthology because there, yeah. there were there were there were a lot of Star Trek anthologies that came out in the two thousands. Um, actually, starting in like ninety nine, uh, there was Enterprise Logs. There was The Lies of Dax. There was uh, oh, a series cool. of anniversary anthologies. Mm -hmm. uh, DS Nine Prophecy and Change, Voyagers Distant Shores, uh, Constellations for the original series, and then uh, The Sky's the Limit for Next Generation. Um, and there was also I did the Dominion War anthology. There was Tales mm -hmm. from the Captain's Table. There was a New Frontier anthology. All these came out like between 1999 and 2009. And um, Seven Deadly Sins was another one, uh, Mirror Universe anthology. Of all of them, the Dominion War is by far the most successful and no, the only one that's still readily available. Yeah, um, but this this is not just a book. So this is, I, I wrote all in this book, but uh, it's not just a book. Like when I read it, so you have to actually pair it with other books if you want to know exactly how the timeline works, you got to watch episodes. You got to get the, well, I did. So you have to get, it tells you all these stories are during the Dominion, Dominion War. So it tells yes. you where it, where it's, where it's starting, where it falls. Yeah. So yeah. you have like this guide, like I read it the way I read it. I read it the way it told me to read it. Well, this falls with the history is that, this this story is between is in oh, excuse me in the pale moonlight. I'm losing my voice. Right. <laughs> so I watched it in the pale moonlight. Then you read this. I think you have to, and then the battle. Of, there's another book you read with it, the Battle of Beta Z because I think that that's the one you yeah. did, right? No, no, yeah. I didn't. I didn't write that one. Oh, I, I know, I, but you wrote the uh, short story that goes with yes. it, right? Yeah, yeah that yeah, was yeah. The, the. I wrote the story of the fall of Beta Z. What was that? Yeah, yeah. Um, that one of the things we tried to do was like dramatize some stuff that was mentioned on the show like mm -hmm. in at the beginning of in the pale moonlight they mentioned that that beta z fell to the dominion yeah uh i dramatized that from locks on a choice perspective mm -hmm. um, it's so good and it's really that was good that was kind that. of that was kind of my, we did we like i said that was published in 2004 mm -hmm. um writing that story was my 9-11 catharsis story mm. um, oh wow i think, I think yeah. every writer who lives I in new york that. has one of those uh, who was every writer who lives in New York who was working in the early part of the millennium has one of those. Yeah. Um, that was mine. It was it was uh, it was a story about getting a kick in your complacency. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is no character in Star Trek more complacent than Loxana Troy. So, um, <laughs> and it really was. I thought it, it was. I, I, it's one of the stories I'm proudest of, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, but we also did, um, Dave Gallanter dramatized the uh, Breen attack on Earth that destroyed mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. It's good. I mean, there's so many things in here. Guys, um, if, you, if you're a DS9 fan, especially Dominion War, this is, uh, this is something to get. Although, can... that, although there's not that much of DS9 in it. The, well, there's, there's everybody. Stories. I think every, yeah. everybody the, that the, wasn't mentioned in, the, right. in DS9, yeah. The whole point of the <laughs> anthology was to broaden the focus to show what the rest of the Star Trek mm -hmm. universe was doing. Okay, but it was going to. Yeah. You know, there's a Klingon story, there's a Romulan story, there's a Spock on Romulus story, there's a mm -hmm. McCoy and Scotty story, there's a couple of Enterprise D stories, and there's a couple of stories involving DS9 as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's a Corps of Engineers story, Peter David mm -hmm. did a New Frontier story, yeah. um, uh, Michael Jan Friedman did one that sort of ties into the his Stargazer series. Yeah, the Stargazer one was in here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, we we... we I, I liken what DS9 did with the Dominion War to what MASH did for the Korean War. It mm -hmm. showed the war through one group of people in one particular location, mm -hmm. but there was a lot more stuff going on. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the anthology, the idea of the anthology was to, to broaden it a little more. Uh, and we got to do some fun stuff. Um, uh, David Mack did a story that sort of served as a prequel to Nemesis. 
because they mentioned that uh, Shinzon led a regiment during the Dominion War. So we showed that, and it also showed how he got some of the how he got his hands on some of the stuff that he used in Nemesis. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there was a Bob Greenberger did a story um, focusing on uh, Captain Clagg, who was a character that actually I'd been writing, but I wanted to do the Luxana story, so I asked Bob to write the Clagg story <laughs> um, of how he lost his arm, which was a story that we had told in like had been mentioned in several of, it, yeah. uh, several novels impossible um, plausibility what, what was that one the klingon one you did impossible diplomatic impossibility oh yeah that one <laughs> that was <laughs> that was a working that was a working title that nobody ever changed <laughs> <laughs> that one uh, yes that one <laughs> I, that, that, so was articles of the federation by the way was that it? was never the final title that was just a working title wow. and nobody can make anything better right um, perfect Having said that, that's also true of Star Trek Picard. That was always supposed to be a working title. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and then, again, nobody could come up with anything better. So all you had to say. You're right. right. So, Keith, I want to ask you about the um, International Association of Media Italian Writers. Okay. Because you guys do uh, a lot. You put you put out a lot of work there. And are, are you like the – are you – sharing it right now or something or no, no no i'm just a member um okay the 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 associate the the iamtw was formed in the early 2000s uh by max allen collins and lee goldberg um currently jonathan mayberry is the president and uh uh Rigel Allure is the the vice president and they're um uh the the it's it's basically trying to do for tie-in writers what uh, Sifwa does for science fiction and fantasy writers, and what uh, the HWA does for horror writers, and uh, the MW the uh, MWA does for mystery writers, and so on. Um, just having our own organization and our own awards, and just advocating for ourselves, and and networking for each other, and helping each other out. Um, there's a you know the, the the group has been helpful in in particularly for some people new to tie in fiction to deal with some bad contracts occasionally. Um, uh -huh. And uh, and just just a, a resource for us to to help each other out. Um, and we've also we've put out a couple of anthologies, uh, and there's more coming. Um, Great, because I was, love the I love the ones that I have. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with those. the 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 first one, Turning the Tide, uh, was 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 a fun little thing with public domain characters, and then um, Double Trouble was team ups of of classic characters. Uh, and uh -huh. we had oh God, Jonathan Mayberry and I put that one together, and we had so much fun with that. Um, I, I I think my favorite was uh, David Mack's story, which closes the anthology, which was uh, teaming Prospero with Don Quixote. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, and, <laughs> okay. and Dave, Dave took it the extra step because the bits from Prospero's point of view were written almost in iambic pentameter. I mean, it was still prose, but it was. He tried to keep everything with the rhythm of okay. iambic pentameter, and then the parts from Don Quixote's point of view, he wrote in the more flowery style of of most of the translations we have of Cervantes's work. Uh -huh. uh, and then there's one scene from Sancho Panza's perspective, and that is in Dave's normal style. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was it was beautifully done, and and there's a lot of really good stories in there. Um, Kevin Anderson teamed up Captain Nemo with Frankenstein's monster. That's what I was just thinking of that one. That was a brilliant story. Yeah. Oh, wow. What's the title? And, uh, of what is the title of that one? It's called the, the anthology is called Double Trouble. Oh, Double, Double Trouble. Trouble. Okay. Um, the subtitle is an anthology of two-fisted team-ups. 
Um, uh, Captain Nemo. The, that's, was, that's one of my Kevin favorite Anderson stories. The, the Nemo Frankenstein story. Uh, Delilah Dawson had a story that teamed uh, Lydia Bennett from Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. with Lord Ruthven from John Polidori's The Vampire. Um, so it's basically uh, two very different uh, British aristocrats yes. from the 15th century. <laughs> um, Derek Tyler Attico paired, uh, not paired actually, it was a three-way team up. There was Jekyll and Hyde, Dracula, and John Henry. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yep, um, yep, yep, yep. It was so good. That was I a remember great story. that one, yeah. And, and my story was... Um, uh, I paired basically two badass immortal African women. Um, Aisha, who is the title character in H. Ryder Haggard, she, um, which is a, a Victorian era a book about an immortal woman from who ro- rules a secret nation in Africa called Kor. Um, huh. And um, the, the one change I made was that in, in Haggard's novel, uh, she's a white woman. Um, and it's also like many 19th century uh, works. It's written as Haggard presenting an account that he found in a box somewhere. So it's somebody else's account of it. Uh-huh. Um, so I basically decided that Haggard changed it. The original. Changed the original to, <laughs> because his, his Victorian audience would not accept a woman of color ruling oh, a nation. Okay. So. Um, that story was brilliant. And I teamed, and I teamed her up with uh, a uh, goddess from the Yoruba pantheon, uh, Igunganoya. Oh, I've actually written this... in another story. She's she's part of she's a supporting character in my Brown Gold books. So, oh, nice. Okay, so that was fun. She's so I, a great I, have, I have them. I have them teamed up uh, in 2017 Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> okay, and 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 it's really I'm, weird I'm, I'm to me writing all these stories right. Me now, too. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at like wait a, minute, to wait, wait a minute, wait a minute now. <laughs> <laughs> like slow down. Hold right, on. I, I need this. I need to find this one. <laughs> what was what was weird writing it was that I was it was really in essence a period piece and it was only six years ago, <laughs> but but it was very, but the fact that it it very deliberately takes place in the first year of the Trump administration that that's an important, ah. piece. um, uh, and and amidst all the rather mm. creepy things that were happening during that <laughs> yeah so, i want to like um, cut your head open right now and look in there i'll take that i'll take that i'll take that i'll take that piece the, the double wow. trouble anthology like i said that was that was huge fun to do and and like some of them were like you know, big, uh, big name character like Rigel Lord teamed up uh marion of sherwood with uh annie oakley um, oh. <laughs> a lot more obscure. Um, Dayton Ward pulled these two uh, comics characters from the 1940s that like only appeared like four times each. Of course, one is Captain Battle, who is a, a World War One vet who was trying to stop another war from happening, at which he was less than successful. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Blackout, who is a, a an Eastern European scientist whose town was bombed uh, by Germans. Uh, while he was performing an experiment and it turned and it gave him superpowers because, you know, it was the forties and that's what, mm-hmm. that's what happens. That's all it took. And together they beat up Nazis, which is, which right. is always a good thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and uh, James A. Moore pulled a couple of pulp characters uh, out of obscurity. One of whom was very obviously a first draft of the shadow. <laughs> Wow. Pretty much the same character, but he, he predated the shadow by about uh-huh. a decade. Um so yeah, it was it was 
it was a great, wonderful anthology, just taking all these different public domain characters and throwing them together. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to be getting that. that. that that's on both pick, of our I'm list. I'm going to yeah. pick that up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got, I got mine at Shore from, Leave. From whatever your Did online you? book choice is. Uh, Say again? It's, it's available from whatever your online book dealer of choice is. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate and, you. And, and I have, I, I also am bringing copies to conventions I go to. So Okay. That's what Sabrina, uh, to me, that's where you got, you got yours from Shore Leave, right? Right. I got mine at mm-hmm. Shore Leave. Yeah. And, yeah. That was, and, that, that was where we launched the book, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, awesome. We, we, were, we wanted to those... make sure we, we we targeted July as the pub date precisely because um, several of the contributors we knew were going to be guests there. Me, Derek, Dave Mack, ah, okay. um, uh, Reggie Lallor, um, uh Ben Rome was there also, mm-hmm. um, and a few other people. Uh, Dayton. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all we were all going to be guests at the show, so we. Um, we wanted to make sure that we thought that would be a good place to, to launch it. So here's a thing that I didn't realize until I got home and, and it was useless to me. Well, until <laughs> the next, until the next time that is so cool that they do in their books is they have pages dedicated to autographs and they have a space for each contributor, contributing author to autograph. So you can collect all the autographs from those authors in that book and had i known that before <laughs> i got home from shore leave then i would have had a lot more autographs in that book but... <laughs> so i have to give i have to give credit where it's due i stole that idea from uh danielle ackley mcphail and mike mcphail and greg shower of eastbeck books okay um, they they started doing that in their anthologies um and uh i loved it i thought that was That's a brilliant a great idea, idea. Yeah. uh and and we stole I'm it for double that down um, I've got, uh, my wife, Ren Sims and I, uh, have edited an anthology that we're hoping to have out this fall, finally, uh, called the four somethings of the apocalypse, which are alternate takes on, on, on the four horsemen, nice. um, the four librarians of the apocalypse, the four PTA moms of the apocalypse, the four cats of the apocalypse, um, the four customer service representatives of the apocalypse, <laughs> the four television executives of the apocalypse, um, uh, and and we we did the same thing for that too. There's there's a, a page at the front where for each of the contributors to autograph it. Um, That's pretty cool. We uh, we had a lot of fun with with uh, with that anthology. Also, I'm glad it's finally coming out. Um, we, we 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 we're launching a very small press called Whisperwood. Um, hey, starting congratulations a small on that. Thing, uh, don't congratulate us yet. It hasn't completely happened. It'll um, happen. And it's and it's Put been it an absolute there. nightmare doing it. We we kickstarted this book two years ago. Oh, um wow. and we're finally hopefully getting it out this month. There's just been so many different roadblocks uh and and obstacles and stuff. Um but we're once once we get this book out, it'll be subsequent projects will be easier to do. Having said that, we're only going to do like one project every two years or so. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're not, we're not, this isn't a major ongoing concern for us. We, we're both far too busy with other things, yeah. but um, it, it was a case of between the two of us, we have all the skills necessary to run a small press. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've got the editorial skills and the connections and such. Um, Ren has the production skills and also the editorial skills, but she also, she does book production. Um, and she's also good at managing finances, which is good because I suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> so she's handling all the money. That's that's her that's her job. Um, 
and, she, and like I said, she does book production. She did a great job on the on the book design. Um, and we should have, like I said, we should have it out soon. Hopefully, great. I'm hoping by the time this actually goes live that that we will, the book will be out. Um, we'll be looking for it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I, I, my my story for that was the four septuagenarians of the apocalypse. Oh, nice. <laughs> the, the title of the story is "What Do You Want from Me? I'm Old." I'm old. <laughs> It was actually, it's another one that takes place in New York, actually. And it was, uh, it was inspired by, um, uh, I, here in my neighborhood in the Bronx, there is a, there is a deli, uh, which has a couple of benches out front and, it, and there's always three or four old people sitting there hanging out mm-hmm. to the point where during a, a community meeting one time, uh, somebody pointed out that we don't have a proper senior center in the neighborhood. The closest we have is the bench in front of Sean's <laughs> Which is true. That's our senior set. Um and and so I, I riffed on that. That's funny. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I got, you know, four four old people sitting in front of a bodega on two hundred and sixth street. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. I could really talk to you all night because I remember even at Shore Leave we started talking about one of my all time favorite shows on Earth, which was Leverage. And uh, and we had a lot of fun. And I mean, if I start going into leverage stories with you, man, we're going to be on here forever. <laughs> how and many, always come back. How many how doing. many leverage tie-in <laughs> things do you have you written? Uh, just one. There are only three. There are only three leverage novels altogether. Okay. Um, Matt Forbeck wrote one, which was called uh, the Con Job, which actually took place at a large comic convention. Um, I did the Zoo Job which took place both in Boston and also in a uh, made-up West African nation. Um, and, um, I'm going to test your Boston involved, book. Involved, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, a, a small, a, a very small zoo in central Massachusetts that was trying, that was supposed to get their hands on a, an endangered uh, rhino uh, and it disappeared. And um, so the leverage team has to uh, figure out how to, find the black rhino and get it back and, and, uh, and save the zoo. And then the third one is by Greg Cox, um, who a name you should be familiar with as, as Star Trek novels. He wrote the bestseller job. Uh, he wrote about publishing scams uh, and, and the leverage people basically. And I was, I was, I actually, when I was trying to come up with pitches to, to pitch when I got the opportunity to do so, I was trying to come up with a story for publishing Sam's and I couldn't make it come together. So I pitched this thing instead. <laughs> so I'm really glad Greg did it because I thought that, <laughs> that that's the sort of thing that absolutely <clears throat> perfect for the leverage team. And I knew no TV writer would get it right mm-hmm. because no, the, the television writers and, and movie writers know nothing about book publishing and they prove that every exactly. single time they write about it. <laughs> um, it's, it's uh, so so. I'm glad that was done as a as a tie-in book, and it's kind of appropriate. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that there's like a a, a similarity in um, almost kind of okay. I don't know how to say this quite right. Like almost like there's a reason why I love both Leverage and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I think that it's because um, at the root of it, uh, it's about ultimately doing the right thing. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, in both of those shows, you know, that's what leverage is so endearing. You know that, you know, a, it can be like formulaic to an extent, you know, like, you know, what's going to happen, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, they're, you know, they're going to be successful at whatever job they're doing. And, you know, you can, you can time the beats 
you know, when they're coming, you mm-hmm. know, and here's going to be the double cross. And now you're going to get the triple cross revealed. And, you know, like, I mean, and then now was the recap of like how we actually pulled the con off, mm-hmm. you know, and I never, ever get tired of it. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I, but you're right. They're, they're, they're both about ultimately helping people, you yeah. know, and, and I mean, there's a reason why a very, a plurality of Star Trek episodes starts with them responding to a distress call. Right. You know, yep. um, the, 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 the main characters in Star Trek are, are generally heroes. You know, they're, they're, they're always, even, even Voyager, which was, which was focused more on getting home than it was on, on, doing exploration still mm-hmm. did still were always was know, it though what? was it though it, it depends, depends on which episode you've got sometimes it was sometimes it wasn't um, <laughs> i think they could have got home a lot sooner if they would have just kept going yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 i like the fact that they wouldn't they never turn their back on people who needed help either right you know yeah. um that they like um a counterpoint when when they ba- when they basically serve as as uh, refugee transport for for telepaths trying to escape a, a totalitarian regime, mm-hmm. um, which was perfect. Yeah, that's so Star Trek. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, you know that that their willingness to to do that. But yes, it, I I have some issues with Voyager. Although I am glad I rewatched Voyager because I hated it when it first aired, mm-hmm. um, and watch it rewatching it again when I wrote about it for Tor dot com, which I started in 2020. Uh, which was also the 25th anniversary of the show, which is one of the reasons why I did it then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm glad I did that because I, I appreciate it more now than I did 30 yeah, years ago. Yeah. Um, but um, it, uh, uh, 25 years ago, whatever. Um, <laughs> math is hard. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but there are still aspects of it that annoyed the crap out of me and, and, and yeah. part of it was the inconsistent it's like are they exploring this region or are they yeah. trying to get Good and home, whether yeah. they were not dependent on the needs of that week's plot you know mm-hmm. right um, which was which was kind of maddening uh i mean it also turned out to be a good, i mean i started it in january of 2020 just because like i said that was that was the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. and then the world ended two months later and uh it proved to be one of the most valuable things for me um and also for for a lot of the readers as well uh, knowing that even though the world was was going completely crazy around us, that every Monday and Thursday we had the Voyager rewatch, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was it was it was something of a comfort. Yeah, so I think I, I, uh-huh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to ask it like, uh... <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. Like rock when paper you... scissors. Hey. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> rock paper scissors spot. Um... <laughs> When you do your um, rewatches as on tour.com, can, can't people like interact with you as like, with, I mean, are, is there, you can message back and forth or, or on there's those? a comment section. There is a comment section. Okay. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. unlike most comment sections on the internet, this is an actual good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the tour.com is one place where you can read the comments. Um, they, they, they're, they're generally pretty heavily moderated. So um Troll, trolls don't last particularly long um and the discussions there are actually uh quite uh civilized and and interesting for the most part um so yeah and i i try to participate in them uh where applicable um but yeah no the 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 comment sections there are pretty good and some there are some episodes that have had you know ridiculous numbers of comments uh-huh. uh, 
like uh, Darmok for TNG had a uh-huh. lot. Um, yeah, Tuvix like had a ton. Tuvix. Oh, oh, mentioned it too. Oh, Lord. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, for, for Strange New Worlds, um, Ad Astra Peraspera had a lot of mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. With good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Instant yeah. classic. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, Speaking of classics, I can I I just wanted to know before we even wrap up, um, what 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 are you looking forward to to see how Discovery ends? Because I think when no one's talking about Discovery, Discovery they're talking about it's going to end, but what do we want to see? You know, what do we want the ending to be like? Um, (laughs) I mean, honestly, the way I want it to end is with them going off on their next mission. You know, mm. um, I, one one of one of my favorite endings to a TV show was uh, the '90s show Hercules: Legendary Journeys, which, despite the fact that Kevin Sorbo turned into a complete idiot in, mm-hmm. in his dotage, uh, nonetheless was a fun, mm-hmm. wonderful show. I adored the hell right. out of it. Right, it was a lot. And of I love the fact the last episode ended with Hercules and Aeolus walking down the path, mm-hmm. going off to their next going adventure. Next, yeah. which is exactly the way it should have ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's kind of what I want for Discovery also, mm-hmm. um, in in much the same way the Next Generation aired with with I mean yes it had Picard finally playing poker but it also they went off they were going off to their next mission, yeah. um, and and that's that's what I'd like to see is them mm-hmm. just you know continuing continuing to do what they do, yeah. um, just because we're not watching them every week doesn't mean they're not still out there you know doing the whole seeking out new life and new civilizations thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and rebuilding the Federation. That and, and I'm hoping that's what the season's going to be about. Is is more about, yeah. you know, not the galaxy in crisis again, right? right. <laughs> right. Uh, but but something a little more um, manageable. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely want to see them. I want to see more of the Federation. More yeah, more of them helping it, help rebuilding it. I want to see mm-hmm. that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well. Keith, I want to say thank you so much for joining us for your first inaugural Sci-Fi Sisters visit because Yay. I'm sure there, hopefully we can have plenty more. Oh, yeah. You know, um, well, we, we, there, was, there, was, there was that Farscape thing you and I talked about. Yeah, definitely. Hells, yeah. We got to talk some Farscape, buddy. Mm-hmm. When is that rewatch coming? <laughs> well, Tor- the, Tor.com actually did a Farscape rewatch a bunch of years ago. I, it wasn't by me, but... Um, a bunch of years ago, man. Yeah, we need to talk. Yeah, Farscape definitely, for sure. definitely next season. I will do that a Farscape show. Definitely, mm-hmm. I want to get into yeah. that. You but guys everybody... were telling me about it. I was like, oh, I want to. Oh yeah, you got like people slept on Farscape. You know, like and I mean that show was brilliant in yes. so so many ways. It was absolutely brilliant and. <sighs> okay, don't get me started. It's time for us to sign <laughs> off, man. Like, that's a whole, like you said, that's a whole nother show. I got to do the rewatch myself, you know. But I still got to finish my, um, I still got to finish my watch of uh, Enterprise. So. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh God! I'm, I'm, I'm as, as we record road. this, I'm, I'm uh, watching. I have to. I was actually in the middle of uh, watching it when when we had to start doing this. Uh, I'm watching uh, Daedalus. Oh wow! Oh, with 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 <laughs> the wonderful Bill Cobb as as the guy who built the transporter. Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah, that one. Uh, that that one's kind of 
That's out there. Spooky. Out well, there. Spooky. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is going on? What are these in space? And what do to the brother? Right. <laughs> okay. See, I have so much to look forward to. Yes, okay, you do. So before you, before you guys spoil it completely, <laughs> sorry. For me, you know, it's only been a, how many? I, years? I, it's only been thirty I, years. I, <laughs> I did. I we yeah. We watched Voyager, and and I got I gained a new appreciation of it. I was hoping the same thing would happen with Enterprise, and it really didn't. Nope. Uh, oh uh, shit! Whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, it is. That's the British show. I love it. I'm, I'm, my apologies. <laughs> Okay. I, you went to Florida. I, what am I expecting? Oh no! Now, um, wow! Ouch! Okay, you're gonna go no, there. No, I know it. I'm all about my <laughs> little Enterprise oh, Island. You, you thought you were safe, huh? <laughs> it just, I, I, it, it, it. I am watching it, watching it all the way through like this. I am frustrated by their constantly taking the easy way out of everything, mm. and mm. and. There's just the show could have been so much more than it was. Oh yeah, um, had a and, lot of potential. Yeah, yeah. There were some really good episodes. Having said but... that, it's got a beagle, which forget which forgives a lot. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Finally, a dog. I, I, I love Porthos. Porthos is yeah. awesome. Oh, so cool. Porthos. <laughs> That's the only thing he likes about the show. I know. <laughs> the only the dog is cool. But the dog is awesome. I mean, the God, dog is cool. awesome. And to Paul. Yes. Yeah. Yes, actually, that that's it's funny. Every single show doing the rewatch, there's something that doing the rewatch made me appreciate more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the thing with like with Voyager, for example, uh, I was particularly taken by the fact that when given good material, Robert Beltran was actually good at yes, playing right. uh-huh. when he got good material. Yeah, didn't happen very often, mm-hmm. but but when right. he did, he yeah. did really well by it. Um, same thing actually with uh Jonathan Frakes. He did I I Riker wasn't my was never my favorite character when I was watching Next Gen the first time. Mm-hmm. Going through the show again, I really got a good appreciation for what he what he brought to the to the part. Um with Enterprise, uh He's a great director. It's oh yeah, also. That's with it. Enterprise, I really appreciated T'Pol a lot more. She's the only grown up on the ship for one thing. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and and she's the third consecutive character who moved past the aggressive male gazing of her character by the producers yeah. to be a fascinating character. You, you saw it with, with Terry Farrell playing Jazzy mm-hmm. Dax, mm-hmm. with uh, Jerry Ryan playing Seven mm-hmm. of Nine, and then again with, with Blaylock playing T'Pol, yeah. where you know, it was obvious they were cast for their looks, at least to some degree. Right. Um, oh, yeah. In the case of both Ryan and, and Blaylock, also costumed uh, with yes. uh, heterosexual teenage boys in mind for the most oh, yeah. Um, but they, they, all three of them rose very far above that, mm-hmm. uh, and created really interesting, complex characters. Um, in Ryan's case, she's still doing that character. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that's been one of my favorite things about Picard is, is, is seeing the older seven of nine. Yeah. I think you right, made, yeah. you made a comment. I, I think, I think it was, you made a comment that, um, discovery has a lot of women and they're not sexualized. Like yeah, that was and I, I, yeah, it was you. <laughs> and yeah. I just, I, when you were saying that, I thought about that because, you know, that always gave me that cringe, like with mm-hmm. TNG, always mm-hmm. had that rapey type of feel to that show. And yeah, I mean, they have great episodes, but I just, sometimes I just can't get past that with that show. And Enterprise does the same thing for me. It's just like so creepy at times. And, and with I'm like, all the, all the oh. half naked, like 
scenes in the de- yeah. in the decon, you know, they're in the <laughs> for shower, no like, reason. <laughs> literally no reason. They're having they're having conversations that can be had fully clothed <laughs> anywhere on the ship. You did not need to have that nope. conversation right at this moment mm-hmm. in decon. They could have gone through decon then come out on the ship and still had the same damn conversation and it wouldn't have changed a thing. Yep. But nope, we had to sit there, watch them like grease up each other. And I'm like, that's not <laughs> soap, first Although, of all. Although, to be fair, there like, were equal <laughs> opportunity about it. You saw Scott Bakula yeah. and Connor Trenier take off their shirt fairly often Many also. Times. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, but if it meant Scott the same thing in our world, doesn't mean the same thing. Come on, take off his shirt. No, like, it's not the same thing. If it meant at all the same thing. Now, if they had given my, me my, some frontal, like then we might be yeah. even. Yeah. You know, <laughs> my, my my favorite was one. There was one. There was one episode that opened with like four of them, like a bunch of them in decon. You had um, Sato greasing up to Paul, to Paul greasing up Archer, and Archer greasing greasing up Porthos. Right. Like, oh, this yeah. is the worst porno ever. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm a dog. Uh, uh, jumping back to Yvette's comment for a second about Discovery, that actually was prompted because that, that was something that was sort of in the back of my head. And it was actually a comment by my mother that put it in the front of my head. Okay. Um, because she was the one who was who was saying how incredibly gratifying it was to her to see so many different women of so many different colors of so many different body types mm-hmm. of so many different personalities um and interests all working together and none of them were sexualized no. mm-hmm. um yeah. and that really um you know my, my mother uh just turned 76 mm-hmm. um and you know she 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 grew up in the 50s and 60s and and seeing that you know meant a great deal to her my mother also is someone who lists her religion as feminism so uh, my girl i love her get your mom on the show too right you can bring your mom next time by all means i uh i i i this did not develop in a vacuum i i I, no seriously i owe a lot to Mm -hmm. to my parents Mm um you know and 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 they, they they always uh encouraged me and always uh we're we're good about letting me you know find my own way and always helping me do what i do mm-hmm. um and and they never they never told me i couldn't do anything um they always made sure i knew what the consequences might be if i did something mm-hmm. but uh but you know they they always made sure i made informed choices but but made my own choices anyway um and still you know to this day uh, uh, have always been there for me, and I and I'm there for them. We actually live down the street from my parents now. Oh uh, wow! They're, they're, they're both they're they're in their seventies, so you mm-hmm. know they're, they're young. Mm-hmm. Um, Some young folks, not know, right? <laughs> yeah, but but both uh, but they they, they they and there's two, uh, they share their house with two other people who actually helped raise me. who are also librarians. Uh, mm-hmm. Four of them all share uh, share the house, and they're all four that. of them are in their seventies, and all four of them have various uh, myriad health difficulties. Nothing horrible, but mm-hmm. They, they they add up after a while, so yeah. having us around is 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 useful. Mm-hmm. Um, they have each other. Yeah, uh, right. I think that that's it. like I'm sorry. Just to go back to that that comment about disco again. I mean, I think that's one of the things that endeared that show to me so much. You know, I mean, yet another reason why it is so hugely important in in our in our in our franchise. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, because it's it's Man, they talk about doing first. I, you know, I get 
and I'm and I'm glad it did what it, it did because it pulled a lot of um, I'm gonna call them SBDs, you know, the silent but deadly like uh, homophobe, racist, yeah. little you know assholes in our fandom, you know, out of the closet mm-hmm. and 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 expose that shit for what it really is, and yeah. you know because they were just this show is just so amazing on all levels in that way. Um, you know, would we the the word representation to me has become a little bit empty because we use it so much. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that it's you forget what it really means. You know, but it means what your mom said. It's like there were real women mm-hmm. in in those characters. You know, like real women don't go around all damn day talking about men or doing stuff. You know, or doing stuff just. I mean, not. I mean, not. I said not all damn day. You know, right. some <laughs> some of us do like you know a good a good bit usually of the time. Usually talking about what idiots we are, but yes, you know, That's but, usually you know, what but it I'm is. Saying, like, is real women with real jobs and real lives doing real shit? you know, who are not vapid and who are not like total sex bots. And that, and it's a huge, huge deal. Yeah. The, the, my, my, my wife uh, absolutely adores the character of Tilly. My, my wife is a very smart plus size redhead and she doesn't see, and she sees herself in Tilly. She doesn't see herself on TV very often. Mm-hmm. You know? right. um, and, and when in, in the episode where Saru made her the acting first officer, yeah. Um, she was bouncing. I've never seen her bounce <laughs> or seen like that before, uh, because she she adores that character because mm-hmm. you know that's uh, she she sees a lot of herself in Tilly and she rarely gets to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's I mean Star Trek at its best has always done that. I mean in 1966 having a black woman, an Asian guy, and a Russian guy working together with the white with the good old American white folks was incredibly radical. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was huge then. Yeah. I mean it, it's de rigueur now um which is great um and that but that just doing that and and not having it be commented on you know the fact that sulu was asian was nowhere near as important as the fact that he liked botany and collected guns you know the fact that Mm -hmm. her was black was not nearly as important as the fact that she could that she loved music Mm -hmm. you know that's what i mean yeah, check off with the whole Russian invention thing, but that still, <laughs> but that, but nobody took that seriously. <laughs> um, and so that, you know, that that was huge at the time. And like I said, in the middle best, of the space race when that was on, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, that was um, that was like we were we were enemies. It was, and here he yeah. is sitting on the. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, while it was on the air, you right. had you had civil rights fights going on. You had a yeah. war in Southeast Asia, and you had a Cold yeah. War with. Russia, and here is this TV show saying it'll be fine. We'll all be going to work out together. Okay. We'll all be working together with the pointy-eared alien guy, and everyone will like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and you know, and then later seeing you know with 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 Cisco, with Janeway, with um, Bashir for that matter, um, and mm-hmm. and and now with with you know seeing Burnham, seeing see, the, the the new captain of the Enterprise is a queer woman. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this is awesome. right. and the first officer, right. and yes, and, <laughs> and the first officer, and, and aside and, and who from, is also a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and aside from the first episode of Discovery, we haven't seen that. Yep. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and honestly, one of the one of the things that pissed me off about the first season of Discovery is that I was the show I was promised in the first two episodes is not what we got. Mm-hmm. Oh my word! Who yeah. are you telling? Who, yeah. who are you telling? Oh my god! And, 
And having said that, the actual show they were doing started in episode three. That, right. That, mm-hmm. that, the, the show should have started with the third episode because that it was- should the- have, Those first two episodes, what the hell were they and why? They, they were so unnecessary. Yeah. Those, th- that should have been a two-part flashback story done in like the fourth or fifth episode in. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that it was just, I, I was much more invested and interested in the adventures of Georgiou and Burnham and Saru on the Shenzhou than I ever was in, in uh, Captain Jackass on the Discovery. Right. Uh, and, and I believe that that time should have been spent more so that we could, the when Burnham does mutiny, it really means a lot more. I mean, that, yeah, that's like, how we would have felt more empathy mm-hmm. and and more you know gut wrenching as opposed to like walking watching Burnham and 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 Giorgio like traipsing through the sand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was just much, I was much more invested in that relationship. Having said that, um, I like the fact that we're actually we've actually because the it in a lot of ways. Star Trek was originally envisioned by Gene Roddenberry, even though he pitched it as Wagon Train to the Stars. It was really Hornblower in space. And mm-hmm. one of the fun things about Burnham is that in Burnham's journey, we're seeing something similar to what we saw mm-hmm. over the course of Forrester's Hornblower books, which is going yeah. from midshipman all the way up to mm-hmm. to captain. Um, and and watching her journey has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and and. Just because we don't see that. Usually we see captains when they're already, mm-hmm. you know, they're already in charge and they've got backstory, but, but seeing, seeing her actually work her way up to it is, it's a nice change. Um, and, and the one thing we haven't talked about, which I do want to mention, because we're not only talking about discovery is even if discovery did nothing else, right. Uh, it gave us the character of Saru. Mm-hmm. Who is like the perfect Star Trek character in so many ways. And I'm not just saying that because Doug Jones is awesome. Um, although Doug Jones is, in he fact, is. awesome. He is. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, he, that that character is just so wonderful in so many ways. Um, you know, I mean, he's the prototypical outsider character that almost every Star Trek show has had, you know, from Spock to Odo to the EMH to um, Worf to, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's just, he's just such a wonderfully you know, curious and, and, uh, empathetic character. Um, and, and I loved watch. I also loved watching him be in charge of the ship and the change it had, like at the beginning of the first season with Lorca in charge of the ship, it discovery was not a very pleasant place. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when Saru took over after mm-hmm. we found out that it was really Lorca's evil twin Skippy, um, <laughs> we, uh, it, it became a kinder ship. It became, you know, instead of like in, in when Lorca was in charge, everybody stayed away from Burnham in the mess hall. When Saru was in charge, people actually walked over to Tyler, even though they knew what he was and sat with him yep. and, and welcomed him anyway. Right. And just that change, you know, uh, was nice to see. And I loved, I loved watching Saru when he was in charge. One of my favorite moments uh, in, in the third season uh, was shortly after they, they come forward to the future. And, Saru basically um, very gently and politely but firmly slapped Giorgio down and made sure she stayed in line and mm-hmm. did what he said because he was in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was just it was beautifully done. I just I, I wanted to sing the praises of that character. Like I said, I, I, I that's that's one of the best things that Discovery has done is given given us that character. 
um, and the others. I love them all. Yeah. <laughs> we love Saru. <laughs> yeah. We love Saru. Well, guys, I mean, this has been a great discussion, and I really, really do appreciate you, Keith. Thanks for, even though I butchered your name, but, <laughs> but now I know. But now I know. <laughs> so we're looking forward to you coming back next time and thank you so much and Yvette do you want to tell folks where they can um <laughs> yes write to us their thoughts on anything any of the myriad topics that we covered tonight <laughs> you can find us at scifisisters.com that's s-y-f-y-s-i-s-t-a-s.com Join us on The Mothership, that's M-U-T-H-A-S-H-I-P, and the Sci-Fi Sisters Book Club, both on Facebook. On Instagram, TikTok, threads, sci-fi.sisters. And we are also on that platform, formerly known as Twitter, at Sci-Fi Sisters. <laughs> Become a patron of Sci-Fi Sisters today at patreon.com forward slash Sci-Fi Sisters. The Trek Geeks Net Network's presenting sponsor is Fansets. Go to fansets.com for pins and memorabilia from all your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use TrekGeeks, all caps, for your exclusive 10% discount. After listening to this podcast, please rate us and write a review. We may just read it on an upcoming episode. And of course, we got to give a shout out to the baddest engineer in any and all universes, known or otherwise. That is Dose the Anonymous One. Dose, 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 dose. If you are uh, in need of production skills or music skills, because he's responsible for all the music you hear on this show as well, hit him up on Instagram at dose underscore the anonymous underscore one, the number one. Okay, y'all, we love you. Thanks for listening and peace, love, and hair grease. Hey, everybody, it's Sister Tamia here with this month's shorty shout outs. We'd like to thank the following patrons for your contributions. Anna Post, Susan V. Gruner, Mohammed Noor, Anne Marie, Sue Kay, Karen Dramera, Duffy Boston, Eve England, Dave A. Gregory, Timothy Baum, The Chief Ernesto Castagna, L.M., Howard Hogan, J.R. Poole, Ann Bradley, Scott Jensen, Jamal Taylor, Starbase Centaur 4210 Productions, Stephanie Dole, Sailor Marge, Stephanie Baker, Kalia Zawacki, Liza Albright, TJ Jackson Bay, Olga Kravchuk, Peter Heisler, Olda Klein, Linda Andereg, Zakia Graham, Bill Erickson, Mark Richmond, Rita Poussant Nethersall, Kendra Strenad, Rhonda G, Bernadette Garcia Galvez, Holly Smith, and Tara Jefferson. Thank you all so much for your contributions. We love y'all. Peace, love, and hair grease.